that's what I need. I need you to actually put something on the line for me. Like if you're asking like, what can you do in this moment? What is it that you can really do tangibly? It's about what can you give? What can you give up? What can you share? For you, when I say you, I mean the generalize you, not you, Lori. Like for you to give me something, it could just be as much as you just forwarding my brand deck to like your contact at Apple or introducing me to your friend who works at Google, right? And like that one thing alone, that's you sharing a bit of your capital, your access, it goes so far. It goes so, so far. Hey, everybody. I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. Today's guest is Zach Nunn. He's a change management consultant and one of the co-founders of a podcast and a movement called Living Corporate. If you haven't heard that podcast, stop what you're doing, pause this podcast, and head on over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your shows, and download Living Corporate today. It is terrific. The goal of that platform is to tell black and brown stories related to the world of work. And I'm here to tell you that you think you've heard good conversations about diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging, but you have not heard Living Corporate and you have not heard Zach. You listen to Punk Rock HR for big ideas to do things differently. And I think I've delivered that today. So sit tight and I'll be right back with more Zach Nunn and Punk Rock HR. Hey, Zach, welcome to the podcast. What's going on, Lori? How you doing? Oh my God, it's been a long time coming. I'm glad you're here. You know what? I'm glad we've finally been able to connect. How are your kittens doing? Oh, they're good. Well, we had four and we've adopted out now three. We're down to one. Do you want a kitten, Zach? So here's the thing. Emotionally, I'm very vulnerable and I can easily take a kitten, but I'm not ready to take a kitten. I already have a, a whole daughter. So I want to focus on getting her maybe to the point where she can take care of a kitten and then we'll get a kitten. Well, you're a smart man. You've got your priorities aligned. <laughs> and I'm so glad you're here because there are so many good things to talk about in the world about the work that you're doing. But let's start off with the big picture because people come on Punk Rock HR because they have big ideas and they're doing great work in the world. So when you describe what you're doing in the world right now, what is it? So look, my goal is to create platforms and spaces that amplify and center black and brown voices at work. Like that's what I'm excited about doing. And I do that through my job as a big four consultant. You know, big four is accounting firms, but I'm not an accountant. I'm more like in the change management, org transformation, leadership development, more on the people side. But I also pursue that passion or that vision, that purpose through my own platform called Living Corporate. So tell us a little bit about Living Corporate. All right, cool, cool. So look, before I like talk about Living Corporate, like I got to talk a little bit about my story because like my story helps to inform why Living Corporate is a thing. Oh God, please. Yeah. In fact, that's why you're here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so background, right? So both sides of my family are from Mississippi. In fact, I can trace my paternal side of the family to a small plantation in Mississippi called Shukalak, Mississippi. And so Shukalak back in the 1800s was like a very booming town because just economically it was centered around this plantation, the Nun Plantation. And so it was a, a cotton plantation and then transitioned more into like manufacturing for World War One. But anyway, that's as far back as I know, like my family goes, which is like 1850 something, right? So on my dad's side of the family, that's them. I'm a second generation reader on my dad's side. My dad taught my grandfather how to read. That was part of him. My dad and my uncle, Clancy, what's up on Clancy? Uh, and Ed, my dad, uh, taught my grandfather how to read to help him get like a promotion at a job 
and John Deere, actually, when he moved from Mississippi to Illinois. So that's my dad's side. Then on my mom's side, I'm the first man to start and graduate from a four-year university. So like my cousin, Chris, what's up, man? He's the first man to graduate from college, but he started at a junior college and then he finished at Jackson State. And I'm the first man to start and finish at a four-year university. So like the background, the reason I'm sharing this is because I want to give context as to like when I graduated from college, I graduated from college, University of Houston, go Cougs. I graduated a year early and I didn't really have a lot of people in my family who could help me navigate like the corporate world. Of course, they could talk to me about, you know, do the best you can. And like, I got wisdom, but I didn't get people talking to me about how to navigate like these invisible rules of these majority white spaces. And so I had to learn that on my own. And I picked that up through like, you know, putting myself out there. Hey, can you be a mentor? Hey, can you help me? Hey, can you sponsor me? Like not halfway knowing what all these things meant and being turned down several, several times. Or if I wasn't wholly turned down, maybe I get like a nugget of wisdom here, a nugget of wisdom there. And so I kind of like piecemealed all that together over eight years right, of a career so far. So I'm a manager, again, like in consulting. I've had a pretty decent career. I've been able to do some really cool things. And I would say I'm progressing as I should progress um, as I look across my cohort, just in terms of like age and whatever, and all this stuff is relative, but you know what I mean? Like I'm doing well, I'm doing moderately well. But I'd ask myself, Lori, like, okay, what does it look like for people that look like me and who share my story? Because my story is not very rare. What does it look like to create a platform or create access to like the real talk conversations I've been blessed to have on a platform that's free? And like, that's Living Corporate. Living Corporate, our tagline is real talk in the corporate world. Like we talk to like all types of people. So like, I'm gonna shout out a couple of people just as an example of the type of folks we talk to. So we've like, we've interviewed Dr. Robin D'Angelo author of Right Fragility. We've, doc- we've interviewed Dr. Pamela Newkirk, who's the author of Diversity, Inc. We've interviewed Michael C. Bush, who's the CEO of Great Place to Work. We've interviewed Goddess Rivera, who is the Global Director of Culture and Community at Twitter. We've interviewed like leaders from Facebook and Google and Accenture. We've interviewed Janet Pope, who's the leader of Diversity and Inclusion of North America for Capgemini. Like, we've interviewed a lot of different people, elected officials, activists. We've talked to DeRay McKesson. We've talked to Howard Bryant from ESPN. Like, we talked to like a lot of different people and like fairly big names with significant brands around them. And we're having conversations that are like really authentic about navigating these spaces. And like we do it through understanding their stories and asking them the pointed questions and having those conversations that frankly, like you're just not going to have at work. You're not going to have even in your like diversity inclusion programs, you're just not going to have these types of conversations that we're having. Well, I want to talk about those conversations, but I want to talk about the we because you are not alone at Living Corporate. So who joins you? Who's having those conversations with you? So who's having those conversations with me? Yeah. So like we have a team. And first of all, a side note, like you're navigating, you're, you're doing a great job. I appreciate you like letting me talk and wax and then like you come in and like make sure I stay where you want me to go. That's really good. No, I no, no. I mean, I'm a podcast <laughs> host, but honestly, I get in the way of my guests all the time. So, but I do want to know more about your team because I think, first of all, getting a podcast out every week like you do and sometimes multiple times a week takes a village. So who's doing it with you? Yeah. So that's a really good point. So we actually, yeah, we, we drop actually three episodes a week, every single week. Like we, and we have not missed in a year and a half. Oh my God. That's such hard work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well it is. Right. And so like (laughs) our team is incredible because, so when we talk about real talk in a corporate world, it's not just about having like these long form conversations. Like we want to create options for people who, who may not have the time to listen to like a 45 minute conversation. Like what does it look like to create career tips and like simple career tips and then medium-sized career conversations. And so that's where we have the rest of our team. So we have Tristan Layfield. Tristan Layfield is a resume and career consultant. And so Tristan has a show every Thursday called Tristan's Tips. And so he's literally talking about like, here are some basic things around like resume, networking, career management. I loved his one on LinkedIn and how it's time. Like, don't let your LinkedIn profile go. 
Yes. Really good. Sh- listen, shout out to Tristan. He does uh, phenomenal work. He's an overall great person and he's a great podcaster and he has wonderful insights. And so that's Tristan. And so then on Saturdays, we do this thing where we switch up. So we have, we drop one episode every Saturday, but we switch up between either the link up with Letitia. And so that's Letitia Bird. Letitia Bird is a executive career and leadership coach, diversity and inclusion coach. And she is phenomenal. So she does, she's talking about and like equity, really kind of like networking, get in the bag. Like she's, she does quite a bit and her platform continues to grow. She's graced us by being a part of our team. And so we're really thankful for her. And so she talks a little bit, she talks more like, there's all like maybe 15, 20 minute episodes and they're like, different shorter topics. So think about like Tristan's tips, but like extended a little bit longer. And sometimes Letitia will also like be talking like directly to like executives and stuff. So think about that, like a kind of like almost like a shot in the arm. Like it's very good content, right? From that perspective. I like it. Like a daily vitamin or a weekly Like a vitamin. daily, yeah, yo, I like that. Yeah, like a daily vitamin. So, <laughs> so like, so she shares a Saturday. So she basically, she drops two episodes a month and then you have Amy C. Wanninger. Amy C. Wanninger is the CEO of Lead at Any Level. And so she's a public speaker an educator, a coach. Um, she's really focused on like inclusive leadership behaviors. So like she has a book called Network Beyond Bias, which is phenomenal. It's really pivoted and pointed to like white leaders thinking about what does it really look like to like examine your network and move beyond some of your the, the biases, both conscious and unconscious, to extend and engage black and brown folks, LGBTQ or um, slash queer folks, trans non-binary folks. Like what does it look like to really have an intersectional and inclusive network? Because if your network is inclusive, then you're going to be able to affect change and like really drive like a more inclusive world. And so her work, what she talks about on Living Corporate is she has a show called See It to Be It. So See It to Be It is like, She's talking to black and brown professionals and she's having like these very interesting technical discussions with these people. So it's a real talk about their job. And so like the idea of like, you can't be what you can't see, right? She's interviewing like newscasters and underwriters and lawyers and like media professionals. And she's literally talking to them about the nuances of their job. And she'll also talk about what it looks like or what it means to be them with their identity in their job. And so like all of that comes together with the help of Aaron DiCaprio, who is our producer and manager, he does all the admin work. I mean, he is the connective tissue. Like if you want to talk about like a glue guy, like that's Aaron. He's phenomenal. In fact, he's probably going to take whatever, you know, like all this stuff, because you know how we do it behind the scenes. Like you take this content and we're going to promote it and stuff. Aaron's going to be one that loads this all into the queue and like make sure it gets promoted. He's a beast. So it's that team. And then we also have Shanisha. Shanisha is another host. And so she'll come on and she'll do some of those longer form Tuesday conversations. And then we have Ade. And so Ade is also a host. And so she does a lot of those like one-on-one conversations too. So it's a pretty extensive team. And like, we do a lot of work. And to your point, it takes a village. And I'm just really proud. You know, Zach, I was just amazed at how deep the talent is on your bench. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, this is more than just a podcast. It's a community. It's a movement. And I think that's what really struck me when I first learned about living corporate and discovered what you're all about. It's not just a weekly podcast where you're talking about diversity and inclusion in HR, you're really hitting work, power, politics, money, systems, all the things that make the world work or not work. So this is bigger than just HR. You know, I just, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. First of all, your voice is great. And then you're saying all these pleasant things about me and my platform. I just feel warm and fuzzy inside. So I just want to thank you (laughs) for that. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're making me blush. All right. Enough of that. Uh, <laughs> I'm amazed at the level of conversation because podcasting is such a weird art form where you only get like 30 or 40 minutes. And oftentimes the conversations are superficial. And you guys, I mean, we're rated mature for a reason. You guys are talking about some real shit over there. Um, I, yeah, I mean, there's no other way to say that. And I'm thinking about the one podcast, the episode that you did a couple of weeks ago. And I know you probably know the one I'm talking about where you asked white DNI professionals to get the hell out of the way. You want to talk about that episode? <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if I said it like that, but yeah, I mean, I was a sentiment, so I can, I can own that. That's fine. Yeah. So look, I think here's the thing. It was so for context and background again, because I love stories, but this matters is that I did not know George Floyd personally, but he and I had like very close networks. So like when he was in Houston and he was doing ministry, the same people that they showed of him, like he, there was a picture of George Floyd where he has his arms wrapped around some people and he has a Bible in his hand. So all of those people in that picture with George Floyd, like I knew them, I know them personally. Like I still talk to all of them right now. Some of them were and are my mentors. And so, you know, when I was recording the content about like just this moment, because, you know, all of a sudden it felt like to me, everyone just opened their eyes and could see the reality of what black and brown folks, specifically in this moment, black people have been living with for 400 plus years. And so what was challenging for me at that time was like, okay, first of all, I have these people who have claimed to know this space and know this work, all of a sudden have all this new language that they didn't want to say before. Now they're using it around racism and white supremacy. And then I have people who have either harmed me in the past or been unwilling to have frank conversations with me about race, now like reaching out to me to one, either ask for my advice and like try to leverage my thought leadership for whatever thing that they have going on, or give me some really weird, empty platitude, like I'm standing with you. My heart is with you. And I'm like, what does all that mean? And so I recorded it and I'm thankful that I did. I recorded it in a point of exhaustion, Lori, because it's like, what are we actually doing? And the reality is the fact that so many corporations are still scrambling for what it means to like really engage and center black lives. I think that that means that there's been large institutional failures of what we typically consider our diversity and inclusion initiatives. And I think that like in this moment, the reason why I said that about, I think I said decenter yourself, right? I said that because if we're really talking about making some true changes and really like engaging this particular people group, it's obvious that those who have been in power have failed to do so. Because if they hadn't been failing to do so, there wouldn't be such a strong uptick in people and all these external contractors getting hired and all these folks getting exposed and executives and like former leaders like suing their companies. Like this moment points to the fact that we need to do something different and the time has long passed for us to do something different. So please like move out of the way, cede your power, use your access to help amplify somebody else who actually is passionate about the work and has the expertise of their lived experience, plus the passion around the space to do something about it. And like, I still feel that way. Yeah, I can hear it in your voice. You know, when I heard your podcast, I had two thoughts. The first is similar to what you just said, what got you here won't get you there. So all of these individuals in positions of power have clearly been complicit or just blew it. And it's time for them to step out of the way, right? They're not the ones who are going to deliver on social justice, on racial equality, on inclusion, all of that. But I was also thinking, we have these systems in place. And does it make sense to just decenter ourselves and cede power? Or do we need to burn this to the ground? Like, do we need to burn HR to the ground? And this is a conversation I've been having for a very long time. It's like the thesis of my work. But if what got us here won't get us there, isn't that really the institution of HR? It's the institution of corporate America, right? Burn it the F down. You know what? Yeah. How do you react to that? 
Well, first of all, I mean, this is why I wanted to have you on Living Corporate to talk about this very thing. Like, I do have challenges with like HR as an institution. And I think I said, I didn't get into the details, but like I started with a large retail company and I was an HR manager. And I remember having like these very like altruistic visions of what my job really entailed when in fact, it was a big box retailer. So like HR's job was to follow the binder. And that binder was, as I look back now, because I was 20. Yeah, I was 20 at the time. So like that binder was really created by lawyers to mitigate risk in every capable way. It wasn't really built, that binder, which you were instructed to follow to the letter, was not really built for like any type of justice or equity or even accountability for that matter. It was built from the lens of like risk management. And so when I think about HR today, I think that continues. And I think that HR is so disempowered. So like, I'm not trying to demonize the space. I just think in a lot of ways, like they kind of operate as like the police, like they're kind of like the police of an organization, right? Like, so the police... I'm not about to get some conversation about defunding the police, even though the police need to be radically defunded. But I am going to talk about the fact like functionally, the police are really like an enforcement force. They do not provide like resources and aid and they are the extension of and the enforcement of larger systems at play. And so like when you think about like human resources and not again, just like there are great police, there are good, nice people who happen to be police. There are nice people who happen to be in human resources, but like the function and structure of human resources is bent towards protecting the company. And like, this is very common knowledge. Like this is not like a black thing. Yeah. And dude, I think you're being generous actually. And I really feel as if (laughs) taking someone who's brown or black or queer and saying, here, operate in this traditional DNI role that reports up to the chief people officer is just setting yet another individual up for failure. And, you know, I've been toying with writing this article actually called defund HR. And so like, this is so top of mind for me because there's absolutely no way we can continue with this system, with these technology platforms, with these policies and expect a different result. I mean, it's just insane. And I think we get the HR we deserve, or at least the people who are in power want, right? And (laughs) in order to make any progress, we've really got to dismantle it. So I'm glad to hear that this resonates with you. No, it, well, it does. I think so. Here's the thing, right? So like human resources, they're really fangless because of the power dynamics. So like, again, they become an executor of whatever the company's will is, right? So they work very hand in hand with legal. Like very rarely will you hear HR, if at all, really come out and be like, hey, you did this person wrong and we're going to fix this. Yeah, Unless right. we know that there's like a crazy lawsuit pending. But if that happens, then typically HR backs out, legal steps in and you're getting some type of package. But Zach, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but to your point earlier about white people decentering themselves from DNI, does it even matter, right? Or do we need to radically overhaul DNI? So I personally think that diversity inclusion as it stands today is done. This moment shows that save these shining North Stars, as an industry, it has failed. Dr. Pamela Newkirk, when we had her on a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this. And like she wrote an entire book and did a ton of qualitative and quantitative analysis on the fact that this space has not, quote unquote, moved the needle when it comes to true equity or justice. And so my hope in the decentering of the white folks as they decenter themselves, that there's like a radical reimagining of what it really means to do this work. And if that means that we change the name or whatever, I don't care. It needs to so fundamentally change that you may as well use the language dismantle because how it's structured today is still about maintaining power and control. So you think about the fact that there's been cycles of this. There's a corporate professional pattern of this too, where marginalized people get rights 
And then there's white lash and then they lose those rights. Then they get the rights and they lose them. And so like that cycle has happened since Reconstruction, which is why like the civil rights movement was us just fighting for rights that we technically should already have had a hundred years before that. And so like when you think about corporate, why is it that it follows like the same patterns? Like why is it that we're talking about black equity and like civil rights the same ways that we talked about it in 1964? I thought that we were a post-racial society. We had Barack Obama in office, but now we have a new regime. We have all these rollbacks and like those rollbacks extended into the corporate space. And then like, we're not even going to talk about Sherm, their complicity and position in this space and like how they haven't really stepped up the hashtag fix it Sherm and like the access and power that they have that they choose not to use, right? And so it follows these patterns. So then the question for me is just like, okay, what does it really look like for this not to be another cyclical thing and to really be like a true reconstructive moment. That's where my curiosity goes. Yeah, mine as well. You know, the easy thing to do, right, would be for me to write an article called Defund HR. Like I can write that in my sleep. (laughs) But the hard thing to do and the thing that is getting in my way of writing it is what's next? Like what is next? Because it's really not about HR. It's about the world of work. It's really about the world. Right. And I mean, what the hell do I know? I'm just some middle-aged lady in Raleigh, North Carolina, (laughs) right? You know, so I don't have any answers at all in this world. But I know that through listening to your podcast and, you know, surrounding myself with other smart people, other people have really good ideas. So I'm really grateful that you came on the podcast today to talk a little bit about what you're doing. Like what else do people need to know about you, Zach, in this moment and your community and what you're doing. I mean, you're raising a daughter, you're working. I mean, you've got a lot going on. If people are curious and want to learn more, what's new and interesting in your world? Okay. So what's new and interesting is definitely the fact that I have a daughter. Her name is Emery Jean Nunn. She is going on four months old and I have a lovely, beautiful life partner who is my wife named Candace Gabrielle Price Nunn. And we are struggling beautifully together through this (laughs) new normal in a new normal, right? With a child working from home during the global pandemic. God bless you, man. (laughs) I mean, I've got kittens and it's complicated enough. You've got somebody who needs you night and day. Right, right. But I'm thankful. So that's about me. And that's really like my life, right? That's my whole world. I think about like my identity is rooted in like my faith in God and me being a family man. Like I really just, that's what I want to be. Now, what people can do Okay, so check this out. Lori, I'm looking at your, you got the official badge on Twitter. You have all these followers on LinkedIn. You have a great network. And I think about the kind of people that you talk to and the people that you reach. And like, I would imagine I'm talking to a lot of white folks right now, or that's kind of like, you know, that's a large part of your audience. I think people need to understand that black and brown people in this moment do not need your advice. We need your things. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna say one more time. Black and brown people do not need your advice. We need your things. So like there's a concept right now, there's kind of like an underlying attitude right now that like what we need to do right now is invest in programs and things that essentially educate Black people. And education is great. And if you look at this, not radical, nor is it new to Black culture, Black communities to introduce education. We actually are very passionate about education. We so much so that we create our own colleges. What Black people do need, as opposed to being told what to do, is to have the resources and access and capital that you have to do the things that you do. So I've been doing this networking thing and I've been talking to people about the platform. When I show people living corporate as a platform, Lori, people go, oh my God, like you don't just have an idea. You have a whole thing. I'm like, yes. And like, I'm not the only person. That's the common story of black 
folks in America that we don't actually need people to show us how to do things. Like we're a lot of us are scrapping and put things together and frankly are much further ahead than our counterparts. What we don't have is the same access to capital, be it financial or social, for it to like blow up and grow. And so when I say I don't need your advice, I need your things. What I mean is I need you to help me either by connecting me to somebody, either donating to Living Corporate, there's a donate button. I'm like, that's what I need. I need you to actually put something on the line for me. Like if you're asking like, what can you do in this moment? What is it you can really do tangibly? It's about what can you give? What can you give up? What can you share? For you, when I say you, I mean, the generalize you, not you, Lori. Like for you to give me something, it could just be as much as you just forwarding my brand deck to like your contact at Apple or introducing me to your friend who works at Google, right? And like that one thing alone, that's you sharing a bit of your capital, your access, it goes so far. It goes so, so far. So like, that's the one charge I want to leave with everyone who's listening to this is like, we don't need your advice. We need your things. Love it. You know, I think you're going to find that this audience is really receptive to that. I mean, people who listen to Punk Rock HR aren't your typical corporate lackeys. I can say that definitely about this audience. But the other thing is they embrace big ideas like universal basic income, right? They embrace big people. They embrace big movements. They want the big ideas. So I love your challenge. I love your ideas. I love your messaging. And I'm so glad that we're connected, Zach. And again, if people want to connect with you, of course, they can go to Living Corporate. Anywhere else that you want to send them, LinkedIn, Twitter, any of your favorites. You know what? Go to the website, man. Go to living-corporate.com, okay? Living-corporate.com. Please say the dash, okay? (laughs) We're going to put it in the show notes, man. You know how this goes. (laughs) (laughs) Zach, it's been real great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for making time for me. Thanks for making time for me. I'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. Peace. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Zach Nunn, the co-founder of Living Corporate. Now, if you want more information on Zach or the show or anything related to our conversation, you know where to go. Head on over to lauriruderman.com forward slash punkrockhr-119. We've created a PDF, a takeaway for you, so you can have resources, tips, tools, everything at your fingertips from the show. Today's podcast, as always, was produced by Danny Osmond and his team at Emerald City Productions. I know you're interested in podcasting, so head on over to emeraldcitypro.com for all sorts of resources to get started. Now that's all for today, and I hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR. 